0: Welcome back to Endurance Icons, where we talk to people who are crushing it in the world of endurance sports. We are thrilled to welcome back uh, Ben Popjoy. We had him at the beginning of uh, the 2023 year to talk about his incredible goal, um, and we're thrilled to welcome him back to talk about how it went. Ben, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. My only ask is, is like, I want a custom title card that instead of it saying, Endurance icon i wanted to say endurance moron because that is fitting for me and my project so talk to your people and like let's work it out you
2: know oh we can make that happen don't yeah. You.
0: yeah, we'll make a trading card for you that you can pass out to hell all of yeah <laughs> <laughs> to my uh, wife <laughs> Uh, Ben, for anyone who didn't listen to it's episode 11, if you want to go back, um, anyone who didn't listen to our first conversation with you, can you talk a little bit about like what you did, uh, this past year? Absolutely. So I guess the
1: backstory is, is in 2022, I quit my lucrative job with ultimate security, obliterated my life, sold all my possessions, got rid of my rental pad, And when all chips in with my personal savings to do a personal project called the Marathon Earth Challenge, which was an attempt to do as many freestyle marathons around the world possible as possible in 2023. And I somehow pulled that off last year. You can hear me living to tell. And I ended up doing 242 freestyle marathons in 365 days in nearly 70 different countries. And it was the adventure of a lifetime.
0: Oh my gosh. And, and we also have traded spots. The last interview that we did, you were in Mexico and we were back home. Uh, so it's cool to have swapped that, but um, like, Ben, how are you feeling after such a crazy adventure? This has been
1: the laziest start to a year ever. Like the media response has been like unbelievably phenomenal. I think um, my curse was my blessing. Like I actually tried to reach out to like a bunch of brands who like, didn't respond to me because they probably thought this was just like such a worthless project. And so when I kind of pulled it off, um, I found that the media was like so receptive to it because it wasn't like a branded or secretly commercialized kind of thing. So the response has been incredible. I have pretty much been like desk bound to doing like interviews, which I'm really grateful for because I'm unemployed and I got to parlay all this to like get a job. So my wife, doesn't divorce me after she didn't divorce me last year (laughs) so the only cool thing is like I just was like okay January I'm just gonna do all these interviews I'm gonna eat whatever the hell I want so I'm just in like goblin mode you know and then February 1st I gotta get like back into reality
0: so are you eating lots of Oreos I think I remember the last time we chatted that was like a key part of your nutrition
1: (laughs) shockingly the amount of Oreos I ate last year I must have like diabetes coming, So I had to take a little pause from, um, Oreo only cause I think I set like a independent world record for that last year. So slightly retired from the Oreos, but they're, they're clutch out in the world, like shout out Mondelez don't know anyone there. Your international distribution is unparalleled. I found them in little shanties all around the world and like, whoever's doing distribution, you know what you're doing.
0: One of our friends was recently in Argentina and they were taking photos of, they, there. there's like full walls of Oreos. So I, I think you're right. They're, they're crushing it. This, this episode is not sponsored by Oreo, by the way. <laughs>
2: yeah. I'm a big Oreo fan as well. So I'm, uh, I'm maybe number two in the world behind Ben in, uh, Oreo yeah. consumption. So we deserve a sponsorship.
1: I couldn't ever have gels on me for fear of them, like breaking. Cause I only had like one mm-hmm. backpack. So, um, Oreos were kind of like my gels, you know?
0: Yeah. It's smart. And you are vegan as well. We talked a little bit about that in the other podcast, which yeah, makes still, it probably- still sucks. Still sucks being <laughs> vegan. So, you know, <laughs> nothing's changed. So, I think it's so interesting, though, that you did this entire thing self funded without a sponsor. Uh, because I think we're in a world where like story really matters. And this is such an interesting story. Um, and so, to continue through without sponsorships, Uh, talk a little bit about that and also unsupported. Like you did this all by yourself. Obviously you had people, your wife was, was hugely supportive, but you, you needed to like run with your luggage on your back because you didn't have anyone else watching it for you.
1: Yeah. It's pathetic. I look like Paddington bear mixed with like emaciated Santa with, I I had to grow this like stupid leprechaun beard to protect from the elements. But yeah, I think like all of us in the endurance sports space, you know, we develop this physical skill set that we always want to like put to the test. And for some people, that has to do with kind of like PRs associated with like pace. Whereas like for me, I'm very much interested in like the aggregate of like distance. So I was like, I just so happened to have the means. I had some savings. I was like, I'm gonna put all chips in and just kind of like put this project to the test where like setting a world record was just kind of like the clickbait. It's probably, if it gets certified, it's gonna be a useless piece of paper, like my university degree, just something cool on the fridge. But for me, it was like in this post COVID world. And I say that in a non-political sense, like I just think we've kind of like moved along it totally into public health, but I just kind of wanted to see what the world was like. And I went out there alone And, like, the world is, like, the best, worst movie ever made. It's, like, this, like, science fiction, adventure, buddy comedy, drama, nightmare. And I just derive a lot of, like, joy and inspiration from it. And, yeah, I was just out there plodding along. I think most listeners or viewers um, have seen these kind of projects online where people who are more entrepreneurial and savvy operators than I am, have like a van and a road crew. Like it was just me looking like Paddington bear with a waterproof backpack on at the mercy of the world and like susceptible to getting robbed and people jumping me. And like, you know, at the end of the day, whether you do a marathon, that's like freestyle through streets or on a race course, all it is is sensation management and like problem solving and, um, the expressions, which I experienced were like a little different a bit more, maybe life and death that's sometimes, but still fun and rad, you know?
0: So I just, okay. I have so many questions, but first, you know, so often when people say, okay, well, you're out in the world, you visited seven different countries or 70 different countries and they, you know, it a lot and a lot of times it's unknown people think that this world is, you know, this scary place. And one of the things that struck me is that it was a relatively safe experience for you. In fact, you know, you you said that you experienced this whole range, but going into unknown spaces and it was, it was more or less, you know, open, welcoming, um, and you were able to navigate it and you navigated it alone. Um, say more about that.
1: Yeah. So I guess prior to the project, which I called the marathon earth challenge, like I had already done 63,000 kilometers by foot across six continents in the preceding eight years. So I just kind of say like my field craft is pretty tight. Like I know how to read a situation. If I hear gunshots, I have like, I can differentiate between like, what's a gunshot, what's a car backfiring, what's a firework and can kind of geolocate how far they are. So I always try and avoid danger. I'm not a danger hunter. I think those people are like reprehensible. These like privileged people that go to these places and film like poverty porn. I just think that's like really disgusting. Um, You two are on a trip right now. And I think we can all agree what the difference between a visitor and a tourist is. You know, a visitor is someone that treats a place with respect and kind of honors customs. So I did that all alone. And um, there are a lot of unknowns, but you know you can do your same route every day and there's a sheet of black ice or there is you know a cyclist that almost hits you or whatnot and it's like no matter where you do these kinds of projects like near far home or abroad like there's always what i call just like cosmic curveballs and so it's just always problem solving so i think as someone looking in uh there is real exposure, but I was always kind of comfortable with that exposure. And I pivot anytime there's danger, but like danger still finds you. It's just how it goes. Mm-hmm.
2: And I know you did get robbed once on the trip. You were telling us a little bit about this um, yeah. affair in Mexico. It's funny because we got shaken down here by a, a, via traffic stop when I made it a, a bit of a illegal U-turn. Sound like yours was a little bit more intense here in Mexico. <laughs>
1: yeah. Every time I go to Mexico to do these freestyle marathons, I get robbed and I'll still go back to Mexico because the Mexican people are the best. It's the yeah, best on the planet. Oh, it's the best vibe. And like... Yeah what you kind of realize when you travel as much as I do is like, you can't project your society's norms onto another place. Everything works very differently. So we're all on this call. We're from Ontario where there's like a 400 series highway that you have to pay to go on. So that's like a toll. And sometimes in Mexico, you're just going to pay like an an informal kind of toll on the street. And so (laughs) for me on my most recent trip last year, that was two motorcycle cops pinning me taking their helmets off, pulling the balaclava down, hands over badges. And then, you know, you kind of get frisked and then they like rub their gun on your booty, which is like homoerotic and exciting. And then, you know, you're just like, let's get this done. But my big tip to everyone, which is like the best, is like, I always carry two wallets. So when someone goes like, give me your wallet, you give them the fake wallet and then they're never like, do you have another one? So I always tell people like, just act really stupid and like just be so dumb that like it just goes real quick and a lot of it is like theater so you just learn that you have to be like oh no please don't and in many parts of the world like a dead Taurus is terrible for pr so these are like very quick fast transactions i'm sure when you were shaken down in the car it was probably like 60 seconds max you know
0: it was a little bit longer but it i loved your whole point of perspective because after it happened like it was in he was like we're gonna we're gonna he was gonna take mark's license and then we were going to no. need to drive to another city and mark just pulled out his wallet and paid him off and then it, it went away very quickly he's
2: like we need two thousand pesos i'm like i have a thousand
0: and he's great done <laughs> we're out of here but yeah. sweet. because but and it was interesting because it's so easy to look at that and say well how corrupt how awful but then when you do any research you find that these cops are barely paid enough for a living wage and it's actually quite expensive so to your point, and we had this conversation with friends recently of sometimes when you come into their space, I mean, we are privileged. Um, and part of that is, you know, just the toll of experiencing a beautiful place and enjoying our time here. Um, and for me, that's a small price to pay. So I, I we're learning, we're getting better at it. But yeah, I think um, we can all
1: agree, like money's for throwing off the backs of trains. We'd love doing this, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean, fair. Um, but what a story. So, this happened again um, in Mexico City for you while you were running. Yeah. And the thing is, like, what's funny
1: about these situations is they have to find an artificial crime to pin you on, right? So, for yes. you, they create this deception of, like, oh, we're going to have to go to this other city, your license. So, for me, when I was getting frisked, they just found like a little bag of Tylenol and they're like, oh, this is not good. This is drugs. You got to go to jail for uh, 72 <laughs> hours. And my brother was getting married the next day and I was like, great. I can get out of a wedding because we all know they're on bare wall. And so I was like, cool, mate. Like let's take these headache pills to the lab because it's going to be someone else's headache when we realize like they're not drugs. But for them, they were like, no, 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 this is the drugs. And I was like, what are we going to do here boys? And then it was just a slate a hand in my wallet it took like 60 bucks. And you're like, it's over in a flash, you know, but it was the same yeah. thing. You're going to jail this and that.
0: I was like let's go to jail
1: man I'm like let's let check it out
0: <laughs> i just don't want to go to a wedding
1: <laughs> yeah yeah wedding is already a jail term of a night so i'm like let's go get the cot
0: <laughs> but you did make the wedding
1: yeah unfortunately <laughs> you know. and it was a millennial wedding so there was like five days of photo shoots and this and that they never end <laughs> Classic.
2: Oh man. Um, So one of the interesting things when I was looking through your stats from the trip was the financial side of things. I honestly thought it would be, so you put, it was about 38,000 US dollars. I honestly thought it would be a lot more expensive than that. Like, how did you, how did you do that for like a hundred bucks a day?
1: I know. So the it's, I always try and talk like carefully about this project because like, it really was like the privilege of a lifetime to be able to have the money to do this. Like this was savings. It's not like it's already, I've already irresponsibly like detonated my life. So to have like put that on credit card would have just been like even more irresponsible. So dumped my savings into it. It was very expensive to do. I totally acknowledged that it was like a privilege. All that said, um, you know, I essentially had the equivalent of 50,000 Canadian dollars. And I went to 70 countries, took 75 flights, flew like 140,000 kilometers, took five boats to five countries. And then Stayed in, I think around like 240 nights of paid accommodation. So in the day to day, it was like quite frugal and threadbare, um, you know, like eating food out of cans. I always joke that like the places you look at at Airbnb where you're like, Ooh, that's dodgy and gross. I'm like, yo, click. So it was quite threadbare, um, very much like backpack esque in terms of just like sometimes as in hostels and couch surfing. And yeah, I tried to do it as like frugally as I could, which also means taking like the worst flights you can imagine, like the ones that leave like in darkness and take off in darkness. So it was just stretching the money to work like really hard.
0: Yeah. And another interesting thing in your stats, because it, it, for those of you, and we'll link it in the show notes of this uh, really great newsletter you wrote, you said that you used only nine pairs of shoes. Now I know you didn't have a shoe sponsor, but you know, some quick math was that's over a thousand kilometers for, per shoe. Um, So knowing that you are not sponsored, like what did you run in and like what so, worked?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, all, I, all, I put the nine shoes in like as a joke because like I had no paid sponsors, you know? And like, I think we can all agree like the common rule of thumb for this is like you max get 500 kilometers out of a Mm -hmm. pair of shoes, like at most. And the funny thing was like on the first Q1, like of South America, I only have one pair of shoes. So those pair of shoes had like 2,500 kilometers on them just detonated. But thereafter, like Norda was very kind to send me, uh, three free pairs of shoes. I have no professional relations with them. I think like all these brands just took pity on me. They're like, this guy's such a moron. Like, the least we can do is, like, send them some stuff. And then, like, I went to Mongolia, uh, which was a – that was a kind of – it was, like, good good idea, terrible in reality because I was in, like, plus 35 in Hong Kong, and then it was minus 20 in Mongolia. So I barely Mm -hmm. had, like, winter gear. But then, like, I had these, like, waterproof ASIC shoes, so that kind of helped. So, yeah, I would have loved to have more shoes, but I had, like, no luggage. I could only have one pair of shoe on my feet and then one pair of shoes – like clipped onto my backpack, which sucked because you know, when you see those like metal testicles on like pickup trucks, kind of like (laughs) bands around, it was like that on my back. So annoying. So isn't what it is what its but I think like with all these things, you know, what I've learned in my really weird endurance sports practice is like, if you get down to the essential, like you learn, like you don't have to rely on gear, you know, you're like, oh, if my watch is broken, if I don't have this gel, where I'm like, if your comfort zone is garbage, you're just used to garbage. So that's where I am. I'm in the dumpster living La Vida Loca.
0: (laughs) But uh, the adventure dumpster. So it, uh, you have an incredible story to take from it. (laughs) Yeah, it was amazing.
1: Like definitely not a trip for everyone, but to be able to like intimately see the world by foot. Like I did almost like 11 and a half thousand kilometers by foot. So like average, like 220 kilometers a week, uh, about 950 kilometers a month, was just like amazing. Like I love the world. The world is like a really screwed up place, but when you see all like the ingenuity and the highs and lows, it's just like so remarkable. And to, I dunno, it's like it was this lover that I got to caress like the whole year. And I'm just so infinitely like grateful that I was able to do that.
0: That's amazing. And you were on feet except for that time that you were on a camel. Say more about that.
1: Yeah. You know, the camel one, I got a soft spot for camels. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They're like so hilarious. And then I was on, I was in like Northern Africa and there was like a camel and I'm obviously like talking to the camel camel's not talking to me. And then there was like a, like a little teen. And he's like, this is my camel. Do you want to get on it? And I knew I was like, I shouldn't get on this thing. Cause like, I just like know what I'm in for. So I got up and they're kind of like, I don't remember the thing from like star Wars, but remember those like things that walk through the snow, they're like, like they go really high up and they're like, really don't feel sturdy. And then when I got up, And he was like, you can get on for free. And then when I got up, he was like, I need a few dollars to get you down. And I was like, this is an amazing scam. So yeah. (laughs) You're
0: going to be on the camel forever.
1: Start
2: start riding it. Here we go. Next marathons on a camel. (laughs) But that's the
0: thing.
1: I appreciate the hustle. Like when I got on the camel, I was like, yeah, of course I got to pay to get down. Like my old boss always said, like, nothing's free. And clearly I never learned the lesson, but you get taught it in Casablanca, you know?
0: Well, yeah, but you also got a camel ride. And what a great story. I didn't get was... a camel ride
1: I just got oh, up on the camel and then he was like if you want to get down you gotta give me money so I got like I did like camel limbo you know but still fun
0: you should have negotiated a little harder to get like at least some foot movement so you could move forward that would have been great
1: I know I know lots of regrets you know hindsight I still have myself so much more life and regrets to live you know so
0: <laughs> and you lived through an earthquake
1: yeah I got like jostled out of a bed it was so funny like I was in like Sim martin And it's so peaceful there. And I had so much personal chaos. So I got, like, hit by an earthquake. And then I almost slid off a cliff and, like, would have died. And it was, like, the most, like, medium trail. Like, just, like, it would have been such a pathetic way to go. And then the dogs on that island are crazy. Like, they're this mix of, like, kind of feral, kind of connected to someone's property. So they always, like, chase you and they it's gross they get like hit by cars they go sun bloated so for a real peaceful place I just had like um I wouldn't say terrible luck just it was like chaotically adventurous
0: yeah I I think that that would be a really great way to describe your entire experience is chaotically adventurous from the sounds of it
1: yeah there was someone else that asked me about that and I'm always like apprehensive to like paint it as like chaotic because I think like chaotic is like big word right like chaos for me would have been finding myself in the middle of like a natural disaster or, um, you know, full-blown war. And I didn't like there really weren't any times that I felt like my life was like truly at risk. Like despite having like the intimation of like a gun pulled on me or like in Istanbul, like a guy like kind of kidnapped me, but not really. He was just speeding down the highway. It wouldn't let me out of the car. And it's like, You realize like a lot of this is kind of like theater, you know, like they have to like induce the fright to get the response. And if you analyze it afterwards, you're like, oh, that was just the transaction, you know.
2: Was there any on the contrary to that? Was there any moments where you were just like at this like amazing moment of like peace and quiet or like just awe that you can look back on of one of the destinations you were at where you're just like this is amazing and so peaceful (laughs) opposite to the chaos (laughs) yeah
1: countless moments like to me it just made me like double down on like how beautiful and like bountiful the world is like you know sunsets in india it has this like just this golden orange glow very much akin to mexico where you are now you know beautiful parts in like the Galapagos islands that are just mm-hmm. like completely beautiful. There's like no development. Everything is like really protected. There's just so much beauty, you know, like when you go to places like Colombia and you're like, yo, they got 15 different types of bananas here. Like it's amazing. So there was like nonstop moments and truthfully, like, because I look so disgusting and smelled even worse, like I didn't really get to have a lot of react, uh, like interactions with like adults, because they're just like, this guy is like disgusting. Whereas like, I had like the best time with like kids and teenagers. Cause like, you know, I think like curiosity, we're all like innately curious. And I think like hate is like a learned trait. So like little kids are loving and they would just see this like moron passing through and they always come like punch me in the butt cheek or pass me a football. And then because I was off the beaten path, like I'd always find the teens like drinking or lighting stuff Mm -hmm. on fire. And then when I passed their vibe check, they're like, let it's hang. So there was just, like, all these little magical <laughs> moments. And you realize, like, no matter where you are, like, everyone's doing the same things. Like, mm-hmm. parents are trying to throw down the rules. Teens are being rebellious. Old people are just doing old people things, farting about, you know? This is awesome.
0: And you also, I loved your answer to the biggest obstacle of the entire trip.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, like, us. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it's like the... One thing that does make me like quite sad about the project, like I wish I could kind of upload everything I saw because I very much felt like I passed through all space and time of human civilization past and present. Like I just saw so much, so much history, so many different political systems and you just see the world and you're like, the bounty and what it can provide is like unbelievable it's a paradise and you just see like human ingenuity and tenacity and it's all like countered by us just like being at war and just like destroying things and it's so heartbreaking to me because of what i've seen because you're like this could be our utopia and like we're just treating it like an ashtray and it's like it's the only home we have like i don't have the dildo space rocket like bezos to fly away you know like Mm -hmm. i'm stuck here and i just wish we all cared more and looked for our celebrator commonality. Cause I think like that is our humanity at the end of the day.
0: It's beautiful. So other than your beard and the blisters on your feet, how are you different today than you were when you started this project?
1: Well, I mean, physically, I started the project feeling like crap, still feel like crap today. So that's like consistent. <laughs> like my hips feel like Tin Man. Like I also couldn't afford any medical treatment anywhere. So like, I have not even seen like an RMT. So it's like left ankle range of motion. That's all screwed up. Right hip funky. But I think like, we don't do these endurance pursuits to like feel good. You know, I think like we, none of us are, um, like alpha, you know, I know you two are very thoughtful and it's like, I think we just recognize like what the cost is, you know, and like the body is the cost for the experience. And like, that's the dance with the devil in this world. So Mm -hmm. to do it and then complain about it, it's like putting your hand over a flame. Like you're like, that's, it's just, is what it is. So I really don't try and like overly moan or whinge about like how I physically feel because like, the world ultimately provided me with like the best year of my life. And like, that's how I want to choose to remember it as, you know, and also like this is a glorified vacation around the world prancing about. So then to be like, Oh, I'm a little sore. People are like, mate. Yeah. I have a year long headache. Cause I hate my boss and you're like fair play. So it's like, I just can't moan about it. And like, on top of that, I know you two are in Mexico now. Like, I think like one sobering aspect of this project is like, it just made me so infinitely grateful to be able to have like leisure and like a bipedal pursuit where I live in a place where I can safely do that. And so many other people in the world, like don't have that luxury. They can't either afford to do it or their society is like unsafe. And to me, it was just like a great reminder that like, I know what we do is hard and it's challenging, but I think like what we do is also rooted in like play. And sometimes I think like we get a little mistaken, giving play the same type of parody as like real life and when I was out in that world I was like I can tell you what hardship and tenacity is and it's not me prancing around it's that guy on the roof in 140 degrees working for six cents you know like so I drew a lot of power from that and I was also kind of like embarrassed when I talked to people about what I was doing but it was cool because like everyone I met was like they're like yeah that's cool I don't understand it but I would do it if I would do it if I could do it, if I was into that stuff. But so, yeah, I just drew a lot of power from that. I just realized like what tenacity is and it's not me trekking over here and there, you know, people slogging.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And did you, did you have any injuries? So you mentioned you didn't have any massages. Um, And we, in episode 11, you were saying, you know, you would finish a marathon and then you would hop immediately onto a flight. Um, you'd get a food if you could. So none of the like general rules apply that, you know, standardly endurance athletes do to check every pillar and make it perfect. Like you just did it. You lived it. Um, was there any time where you, uh, struck up an injury? No, I mean, there, were.
1: I didn't have any major injuries because I went like really slow, which is like part of my approach. Like you have to go slow to go far. And I also like, don't get stuck on pace. Like I track things just for kind of like a data point. But if I stop and take a photo, like I don't pause. So I just, I'm more concerned with like aggregate distance than pace. Um, so, you know, it just got to the point where you're like putting gobs of petroleum jelly in your butt crack and your armpit, your feet, like my feet look like mummy feet. Cause they're just like taped and the toenails are disgusting. And like your body oddly can like adapt after a while, if you're like really conscious with how you move, but, you know, there are a few times where I was like, Oh, I'm just willing to lie down and die. This is like, oh. you know, like I remember like Spain when that sun is ripping mm-hmm. and there were so many times where I was like, if I had like slip right now, I'm dead. Like no one will find me I'm on some trails. So when it's like 120 degrees or like middle East where it's like wet bulb temperatures, where it's like above 35 Celsius and 80% humidity. If you're outside for six hours, like you can die. Cause your body just can't release heat. And like your organs, like you feel like you have had food poisoning like five times in a row. And it's like, I don't know, that's it. But I'm like, I don't like really like chatting about it. Cause I'm like, that's the cost of adventure. Like, that's what it is. You know, it's like, it's like going on a roller coaster and complaining about roller coaster sickness. You know, you're like, dude, you just chose to go on a roller coaster. So yeah, I staved off kind of like injury, but I also don't care about injury. Like I'm not reckless. I'm just like, I'm here for a good time. Not a long time. My wife hates when I say that, but I'm like, you know, this flash vehicle is a rental and we're going to go mental in it. You know, that's the vibe.
0: I love your approach to life. And you came away with uh, 10 lessons and uh, a couple questions about those. The first, and I think you touched on it a little bit about like the opportunity cost being real. And I know that you needed to make some adjustments in your marathon just because of the way life was shaking out, you d- you did a few more in Toronto than I think you were originally intending. But, um, you've you've mentioned the opportunity cost, but talk a little bit about uh, the support from your wife and and what that looked like in terms of you know when you were you setting out those plans.
1: Yeah, whether you're listening or looking at this, um, you will be shocked to know that someone like me can actually be like married to you know like. <laughs> uh so that is shocking and not only that someone would marry me but they would like stay married to me and my wife Christine is very understanding and I think for her she met me when like I was already I already had these interests as like pursuits and so my whole gag is like you can't expect that alley cat to be a house cat you know like yeah bad boy for life just the way it is but (laughs) you know with these ideas, like I exist in like a real dumb world of where I worked in like advertising and marketing, where you just come up with like silly ideas and then get collaborate with people to make them real. So when I told this idea to my wife, like who is a journalist, she was like, I like the newsworthiness of this idea, but like, as a couple, we're going to have to workshop this it was like fair play. So she made the ultimate sacrifices and like. You know, like I was just prancing around, but part of that negotiation was that I would come home in between continental legs to see her and kind of like stick around. She would come out and visit me at like a place of her choosing. And I called her every night at 7 PM, no matter where I was. So there were many, for much of the year, I didn't get a full night's sleep because I woke up at 2 AM, 3 AM, 4 AM. And like, that's the commitment. And I think like with these projects, it's very easy to treat them like they're the center of the universe but you have to remember that like there are a lot of people like in your cosmos and if you want to stick them to stick around you have to kind of co-author the product the project with them so they have the illusion of peace of mind you know but the thing is too is like so much wild shit happens out there i just didn't tell them like because you're like they're gonna melt down if they know what's going on over here so i'm like i was always like it was funny. My wife would be like, how are you? And I'm like, good. She's like, how are you really? It was always the, how are you really always made me laugh. But
0: And how did you answer the, how are you really?
1: Oh, downplay everything. You know, my wife's like a regular human being. So if I told her this stuff, she would just be like, this is not cool. You know? So yeah, I was always like, it's fine. But like, there are places that were like, like Cairo was so tough, you know, like, I think don't hold me to this. There's like 30% unemployment of people under 30 years old so there's just no opportunity and where there's no opportunity like people just run game on the street right so it's like when you're running around looking like lepre literally like a leprechaun and emaciated santa like i look like like people are like this guy is like prey you know so it's like people jumping on you motorbikes coming up trying to like peel stuff off of you buildings where they like throw stuff at you so someone can like tackle you but that's just the gauntlet you know I wouldn't go back, but I'm glad I saw the pyramids, hundred percent thumbs up.
0: (laughs) And the other thing that there's this whole element of your journey that you haven't touched on yet, which is, you know, you communicated, like you were, you were capturing all of it in a very creative way. You were telling stories, you were writing postcards to the people that supported you and you were your own, you know, travel agent. You needed to make all of these plans and logistics. So your second lesson was around like time flies, use it wisely, but like, how did you fit all of this in while running these marathons around the globe?
1: So I got fooled. My brother, Elliot is like in my bad books and Brett Chang who runs the peak. Cause these little like digital millennials, they were like, you got to do a newsletter. And I was like, what is that? And I read an email. They're like, well, yeah. So then I kind of figured it out. And then the first week I was like, this damn newsletter takes like 20 hours. Like I'm writing like 5,000 words, shooting all original photographs. So over the course of last year, like I wrote 230,000 words, which is the equivalent of like a 900 page paperback. And like, you just get pot committed. You're like, this thing's a nightmare, but you just do it. Cause you said you're going to do it. And it's good. Cause people offer me a book deal, but, uh, writing after doing almost five marathons a week sucks. Um, but people seem to like it. So you just like <laughs> you do it all these things, like all my stupid ideas, what I've learned to anyone who cares about goal setting is you just say, you're going to do them on the internet. And then if you don't do them, you get so much egg on your face. So just make these stupid commitments and you'll get them done and just sign up for the next dumb thing you sign up for, you know?
0: So are you writing a book?
1: I'm a writing book. Yeah, so there's some publishers interested, but for me, I'm less excited about like that hero's journey tale or that adventurer tale. Like if you look at any sports theme movie on Netflix, that story is being told a million different ways with all due respect. And that has already been expressed through so many different sports. But for me, I think I'm more interested in like the lessons the world taught me. I'm also like a divisive character. So like, if you don't like me, you'll hate my books. So if I write about the world, you live there. So you kind of have to like it. So that's a marketing decision, you know?
0: I I don't know. I think you're fairly likable. I think people love the approach because it's refreshing. There's not a lot of people that take the approach that you do. And I think more of us need to. Yeah. I come
1: from like a self-effacing, like pump background and like, I'm just a big fan of like knowledge sharing and open source. And so like, my hope is like other people do these projects, they write about it, share about it. I learn from them and like, You know, like my last letter of like the last issue of the newsletter, I'm just like, it's everything I learned. So the next person can do it better. Like, I'm like, to me, if we hoard, like the culture stalls and if we share and cross fertilize ideas, like everything moves forward. Like, this is why we have coaches in this space. This is why we have like teammates, you know? And it's like, if everyone had the kind of like famine mindset, like we don't learn. So yeah, I think like, as much as I joke around, it's very much like trying to like transmit and transmute these like stories and lessons from the world with the hopes that it inspires people at the end of the day. Like I don't care if people are like walking or hiking or jogging. I'm like just go out there and enjoy it. It's so much better than the internet. And I love the internet, but like the real world, that's really where it's at. You guys are in Mexico, you know
0: you're like oh yeah
1: this, this is better than real housewives of whatever, you know, like you've got the palm trees right there.
0: It's, it's true. And, and to your point earlier, it's like, we're actually living here. If that makes sense. We're not like visiting, well, like obviously yeah. we're visiting, but we're acting like we live here. Like we go to the, we have our favorite vendor at the local market and like, yes. it is, it's, you live differently. And also like, to your point of how you stretch to your dollar, it's so much cheaper. Once you like our first time grocery shopping here versus how we do it now. Like we realized we, we got got when we first we're here because we started, we're like, oh, well, this makes sense. Not realizing that things can range by like four times if you aren't like looking.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, obviously we know that like the purchasing power of a dollar obviously varies per a country, if not a city. But I think for me, like one shocking thing was like being in other economically advanced countries, it had like way better amenities and public services and they were like way cheaper than Canada. Like I was shocked. Like I was in Zurich and I was like, you know, as Canadians, like Zurich people imagine like bankers and Maseratis and yes, there's all that stuff. But when I was like there, I was like, this is cheaper than Toronto and I don't understand. So yeah. It's, it's, it's very interesting just seeing like what things cost, like, and especially like, you know, when you find yourself abroad in like the tourist grocery store versus like the local grocery Mm -hmm. store, you know?
0: Yeah. That's, that's huge. And even, you know, speaking of Mexico, like finding those actual taco trucks, like if you eat at a nice restaurant, it's those like small hole in the wall places that are actually the delicious
1: food.
0: It was amazing.
1: I mean, that's the best part of the travel when like, Like I was like, I got to go to Bangkok for the first time and like the food, whether you want to be like super indulgent or super heavy versus like fresh and healthy, like it has the best spectrum of food in my opinion. And it was like so inexpensive that I was like, how do I get some digital nomad work from home job here and just like live in this like food mecca where everything is like so cheap, you know, like it is quite amazing. Like when you're in the global South, as you are right now, like the food that grows, like the vibrancy of like the fruits and everything, it's like when you're at the source versus like at the end where it's like an an import, it is like, it's like technicolor in your mouth. It's one of the things I loved most about my days, you know, just eating different fruits in different parts of the world, things I didn't know. And you're like. Like it tastes neon, if that even makes sense. You know, it's unbelievable.
0: I love that. Um, Another one of the lessons that you shared was be the dumbest dreamer in the brainstorm.
1: Yeah, I've probably proven that on this talk. (laughs) Well, I think with like all these projects, um, and I know you two have a fascinating relationship because uh, Mark is like also your coach and coaches you, you know what I mean? And so like, I think you understand approaching like, any pursuit with like humility, you know? And I think like for my project, I had like an idea of what I wanted to do. And because I was betting my life and my livelihood on this, like there had to be an outcome. And that outcome for me is returning to being an adult and getting a job. So there were levers I had to pull on to kind of have people help me um, shape the idea. So it would like break through. And, you know, in all these projects, whether they're intellectual or physical, if you can somehow convince smarter people to like take pity on you and like cross fertilize your ideas or like train you, like you Excel. And so it's like, if there's a pack on the move, like I always want to be the slowest so I can learn from the fastest, like God forbid I'm the person at the top, you know, like leading the charge. Cause I don't know. I only learn personally by like losing or from people that are better than me. Like any, when I have, it's like, you're just kind of like, less reflective about it because i think you just like got the job done and then like i think being second place is the best because you just got that hunger you know what i mean and like i don't know so with this project it was like you know some really smart people that either like helped me for free or like i paid to help me and like just really made my project better and it really comes down to at the end of the day like do you have a mentee or a mentor mindset. And I think it's like great to be a mentee and like surround yourself with like mentors that will like make your life better. It's discipline and humility and knowing that we don't have all the answers. Sometimes I have an inkling of an approach I think could work, but I love it being challenged. Like we should never have yes men or yes women around us. You want people that like push you.
0: I love that so much. And that sort of like goes into the next lesson that you shared is just like know thyself and thy limitations. And it, I mean, one thing that I love about your journey, Ben, is that you bring zero excuses to it. You just get it done and you, you're, you have fun and yourself is facing along the way, but you don't take yourself too seriously. And I think that that is a big part of understanding your limitations. It's also, why I have
1: no sponsors, you know, cause it's like, I'm also like in an endurance sports world where I don't race and don't compete. So, um, because of that, like i find I can just really freely discuss my experiences about it. And I think like this kind of trope or archetype of like the kind of constant savage killer that can kind of battle through all the adversity. Like that to me is like, I'm not a superhero. Like I was joke, Like I'm an atheist. I have no God given talent. So it's like every marathon that like I pull off feels like a huge victory because everyone's hard. They never get... I always say, like, they never get easier. Some are just less hard. Like, everyone sucks. And so, yeah, um, just kind of like know my limits. I think we got to be like gracious to the people that like help us because even though these are solo pursuits, it's like, you know, many of us train in packs.
0: It's true, and I think one of the things that you've talked a lot about in this conversation and, and our first one is just that idea of humility. Like you bring so much. It's it's not just a self-effacing. Like you genuinely bring this humbleness. Um, and I think is a big part that that plays out in why this was a success for you is that you bring a lot of respect as a result of that. Like when you speak about it, yes, you had, you know, some some wild stories happen, but you almost talk in this like respectful awe of your entire journey last year. And I think that that's a big part of what made it successful.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, I love the world, you know, like I really do love the world. The world is like not perfect. We got to make a lot of like progress on it. And it's like, that's what I hope like comes through, you know, that like the world is worth like caring about and I'm humble because like, I'm just trying to figure this out. Like you can have like the best coaches and you go to a race and the conditions change or like the air is different. And it's like, it's just figuring it out. And I think like the fallacy of thinking we have it totally figured out is an illusion. It's like the human question is like, why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? And like that plays out in physical senses and existential senses. And like for me to pretend otherwise, especially a guy who's like unemployed, like I have no choice but to be humble. You know, it's not like I'm like some internet guy who's like parlayed this where I'm like, I've made it. I'm like, I'm just figuring it out.
0: But I think that actually when we when you talked about the beginning of like how many impressions you've had in the media, like that's what makes you stand out. Like I recently came from PR. Um, and yeah. it is like breaking down the door and bribing to get anyone to sit up and pay attention, especially because like the media landscape is changing so much. It's hard to get the level of impressions that you like to, to pay for the impressions that you just got would be hugely expensive. So I think that this whole approach is, I think people are sitting up and paying attention because it is like, there's a purity to it. And I Absolutely. think that, that yeah. Yeah, I think it was interesting
1: because uh, I'm a big fan of this guy and he's an American named Craig Maud. He lives in Japan and he like walks and does adventures and takes photos and makes books and has somehow created like an online community that pays him to do adventures. And I was like really in awe of him as like an operator and an entrepreneur that I'm like, you get paid, you, I was like, people pay you for you to go on a trip to make content about it. And he's like, yes. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's the dream. Um, and then when I told him about my project, I was like, yeah, you know, this is a like party time, big check financially, like strike out. And he was like, oh, he goes, no, it's just pure. And I was like, yeah, it is pure. And like, I think that is how people like respond to it. I also like, don't care. So when I did like my first big, like CBC radio interview, I don't know how it happened, but like, I just admitted to pissing my pants four times on my project when I couldn't find a washroom. And then like every news producer calls you. Cause they're just like, this guy's good for a soundbite, you know? So <laughs> um, you have to have a project that like people take pity on and like want to help elevate. But then when you have the moment, like you got to get some zingers in because like, I, I've literally had emails where people are like, thank you for the like pissing pants compliment uh comment. Like we'd love to have you on. So, you know, people love uh, humiliation and hope.
0: <laughs> well, and I think it's it, because it stands out so much in a world where everyone tries to look so much better than what they are um, yeah. to be able to just be honest about that. And I think like where you were really honest too, is it's, it's really easy to romanticize this whole like grand trip around the world, but you were just so honest about like, Hey, this is a slog. Like, I'm needing to eat Oreos every single day. My feet are taped. I'm not sleeping very much. Like you didn't try to put a bow on it. Um, in a world where people are trying to make their lives look so much better than what it is. Um, the honesty, I think is making people pay attention because it's real, like everything's a slog. So totally. people are- And don't get me wrong.
1: I would love to be someone who like had the air conditioned van, nearby, you know? Don't get me wrong. If that van materialized- We had some like frosty electrolyte drinks in there, some food, I'd be like into it. And then if that allowed me to be this like archetype alpha guy, yeah, I'd own it. But it's like, that's just like, wasn't my experience. And that's not me. And I think that like, one thing I thought about before this project is like, I think there are a lot of people who like fashion themselves as like superheroes. And that's great because it gives us something impossible to aspire to. But I really want people just to go out in the world. And if I were to present like a superhero, it's just otherworldly to them. And what I want to hopefully come across is, is like a regular person that did an extraordinary thing and now is just going back to being a regular person, you know, like that's always what's inspired me the most, not these like people on figurative like pedestals or podiums that like, I feel like I can never achieve that type of success, you know? So I don't know, real people doing real things, I think is something that we can all relate to and inspire us because if Joe can do it, then Paul can do it too.
0: Well, exactly. I don't know who
1: Joe and Paul are, you know, those names just
0: came to my mind. So, but I mean, they're, they they both can do it. That's the point. Yeah. (laughs) Um, One of the lessons is that you shared was friendly fire is the deadliest. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. So I thought like I true, when you do a project like this, without trying to be like morose, like you just have to accept the worst case scenario. Like it's just the reality. Like there's that saying no one plans an accident. And while I have a lot, tens and tens of thousands of kilometers, like under my belt across many different countries, things can, things can go wrong, you know? So I had to get the well, all this, just literally accept like you might die. And as I went out into the world, like I was blessed with a lot of good luck and things went my way more than they went in my opposition. And so I was a little shocked by that. And like what you realize was difficult about all these like projects out in the real world is like your interpersonal relations are like the things that can wobble you the most, right? Like, um you can get into it with your mate your your missus or your husband and it's like that wobbles you and then like you say something careless and then like you deal with the blowback of like your stupid your stupidity and like that was always like the hardest stuff like it was like the interpersonal stuff like for me it's like you know I might have caught my wife on a bad day at work or I was super tired and it's like I didn't communicate something and then like Then there's a text and it's like, that's the stuff that was like racks you with, with the like faith of whether you can do it. And I was like surprised that like the friendly fire, like your inner circle accidentally doing things or you accidentally doing things to your biggest supporter is like, it feels like it can bottom out the whole project. And that to me was like a massive lesson. Like, I don't know, just, um, so much of a daydreamer and just like in this world of ideas that sometimes I forget that I'm like attached to reality. And it was just a reminder, like mindfulness and like presence and being like thoughtful and thinking out what you say, like words have weight. And in my experience, you know, I had just like minutes of calls with people every now and then. And it's like, I just wish I could have done a better job of being like rested and really like choiceful with my words. Because you say the wrong thing. Someone says the wrong thing to you. You're already like mentally frail. They're already like missing you. And it's like, that was probably the most destabilizing element of like the the project, you know?
0: And that fits something else that you said was that you felt like you were failing most days. And it's interesting in something where it's like you achieved your goal, but you sort I think your thing is failed, fail yourself towards victory. Um, I think that's a really relatable comment because I think that a lot of people feel that way. And it's such a great way to sum up like what you achieved because you did it. You got your goal, but I love your focus on the journey.
1: Yeah. And I think like what you realize with this is like the fastest way to like a mental breakdown on this project is like just looking at your data. You know what I mean? Because all of us with all of our pursuits and projects, like we always kind of plotted out on paper, what we hope for, you know, we're like, this is what we want to get done today. This is what we want to get done this week. And if you live and die by that, like it can crush you. And like what this project like taught me is like, it's just like pivoting and surrendering to the process and not getting lost in like the micro, but really focusing on the macro. Like there were days where I'm like, obviously on this project, it's boring, but like a head cold that you would experience for five days, it lasts like 500 days on this project. because your body's just like a dumpster. And so like, There were times where I'm like, oh, I'm not supposed to take today off and I'm taking today off. And then like, oh, this guy's robbing me. And like what you realize with these, like, you know, it's, it's really cliche, but it's like, if you're a runner, is this a sprint or a marathon? And if it's like a marathon, like it's a lifestyle and it's not a race, it's a long process and success is just showing up and putting in the time and solving problems, like we all know in life, like. Like doesn't go perfect. Like there's always curveballs. things go wrong. And it's like, if that is your wall and you can't climb over that wall, like you're not going to be successful in the race or in life. So to me, it's like, this did not go to plan. I planned it exhaustively, but if you just show up and chip away at it and just like focus on the kilometer, like focus on the minute, like break it down into something snackable. You're then like Sonic the Hedgehog picking up those coins, you know? And it's like, I'm just like, break things down into really doable things within a block of 15 minutes or an hour. And everything that you get done is just a check. And then it's just step and repeat, step and repeat. It's when you like, look at these projects with like all their complexity, they bowl you over. Right. And I always think that like anything hard is just a thousand simple steps. And so it's like. What are the next five things I have to do? What are the next five things I have to do? And just think about it that not like this list of like 500 things with this critical path of like, this goes over here. This goes over there. Like it's daunting. And these projects, all projects are daunting, but like, if you just show up every day and kind of like do what you know is like almost like the minimum viable effort to get the result, like that's, what's just most important. So it was, it was like, um, really fascinating that way of just surrendering to process and you just reach a point point, you just like, you just go like, fuck it. I just, I'm going to try my best and it's going to be what it's going to be. And I think if you have that attitude, it actually allows you to like, kind of transcend data points that would like trip you up. You just surrender. And you're like, I'm going to try my best. And that's where you just go deep in yourself. And if like, if this is your calling and like you want to do that marathon or any project, then you'll get it done, you know, and you just solve the problems as they present themselves. If these were easy. Everybody would do this. Like yes. no one would have cared about my project. No one would care about marathons. Like they're hard things. Like you can read a million books, listen to a million podcasts. And it's like, nothing will prepare you for it. It is you against you. It is super hard and gratifying. and We are weirdos and that's why we do it.
0: Well, I don't think there's anything we can top that. That's such a great summary of like why you did it and uh, <laughs> all of the incredible uh, ways to celebrate this past year. Holy smokes, Ben. Yeah, um, thank you. So w- what's what's next for you?
1: What's next? I got a little bit of TV and radio to do. It's funny. I'm talking like Ben Mulrooney tomorrow, which is like so LOL. Like <laughs> I was like, I feel I'm like, oh, that's really good. But I'm like, what a what a bummer for him to spend his like, weekend with me so that I love a bit of media, every second of it I know so yeah a bit of media left I'm just like grateful that anyone cared about this story grateful for you for having me on because this was just like a personal project so that I got to shave my beard I was like gonna shave before I did all this media stuff and then I was like nah kind of like it's the character and then you see yourself on tv and you're like I look so terrible so that's going soon and then yeah parallel pathing like updating my cv and building like a website for like my previous creative work so i gotta get a job so that i stay married you know contribute to society like a adult not like a peter pan arrested development yahoo
0: you know what i think that i i know you said earlier of like the story isn't necessarily linked and you need to stay linked in reality but i think Like whatever comes next for you is going to be informed by what you just did. And I'm really excited to see what happens next for you, Ben, and anything we can do to help get you your dream next step. We're, we're here to do that. And I know our listeners are too, but we're rooting for you. And wow, like, thank you so much for sharing your journey. Like I've, I've loved both conversations and I'm, I'm sure this isn't the last thing that you're going to do is, is all I can say. (laughs)
1: Yeah, unfortunately for my wife, I think you might be right. You know, there might be other adventures.
0: Wow. How great was that? I always learned so much from these endurance icons. If you enjoyed the podcast as well, please consider liking us across social media, subscribing to us on YouTube, or giving us a five-star rating on wherever you listen to your podcasts. We appreciate you and your support so much. We wish you happy training, and we'll see you back next week.